everyone. Welcome to Irreverent Testimony brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast mind for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, January 4th, 2020. Happy New Year. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And uh, we got a lot of stuff to cover today. Um, some of it will be, well, it'll all be current event stuff, but some of it will be about the stuff you've been hearing in the news and pressing things that um, you know you might see on MSNBC or CNN and then some under the radar stuff which you know we've been trying to gear more towards giving you more of the under the radar stuff because you don't need us to rehash Rachel Maddow every night right um, what do you want to start with um well I guess first uh, sorry we missed you last week it's been a little bit crazy around here um, mm-hmm. and I think I want to start with abortion um, Travis's band is playing a show tonight here in Denver at the Oriental Theater um, in benefit of Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. called Bands Against the Bands, which I think is very clever. Um, and, you know, wow, it couldn't be a better time to do it. Um, yeah. A couple of days ago, um, several hundred Republican lawmakers sent an amicus brief to the Supreme Court urging them to overturn Roe and Casey. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that. So. What can, let's explain to our listeners exactly what an amicus brief is. It's a amicus curiae brief is a friends of the court in Latin. Um, And it's just a brief that you, um, it's it's a, a memo essentially that you send to the court with your opinion about what they should do. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. So let's say there's a case where there's something having to do with pharmaceuticals, right? An amicus brief might be sent to the court by a bunch of pharmaceutical companies or by a group of doctors or by the American Medical Association giving their opinion, their sort of expert opinion about the case because the court can't be like doctors and lawyers and you know what I mean? They can't mm-hmm. be experts on everything. Right. So generally these briefs are sent by experts in the field to give their opinion about um, the the merits of the case and what they think the court should do. Mm-hmm. In this case, um, none of these people <laughs> presumably are abortion doctors, no. um, nor reproductive health care or women's doctors in any way. They're Republican lawmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, two Democrats jumped in. Two we Democrats should. jumped yeah. in. Yeah. Yep. They sure I, did. I don't know which ones. Uh, two of them I've never heard of. Two, two house, house members, members one from, members, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, way, way conservative house members, one of whom did not vote to impeach Trump, mm-hmm. um, and the other um, has a long history of uh, being hostile toward reproductive rights. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in times before, I think we could argue that, like, the court would never do that, and, like, yeah, we've not, always argued, you yeah. know, a death by a thousand cuts rather than, you know, an actual overturning of Roe. Um, but we have to remember that since President Trump was elected, he got to appoint two justices, mm-hmm. Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Both and of the, whom, the whole point of getting those guys in there was for this. This was it. Like we talk about the politics of it and how crazy politically it would be and how it would put them in a bind and and you really would I think finally see women marching in the streets like every day I would hope but like th- you know they're willing to risk that because this was the whole point this has been the whole point since it wasn't just for tax cuts no. you know this is no the whole this was it the whole point of getting control of the court was to overturn Roe yep 
So at issue is a 2014 Louisiana law, which is very similar to the Texas law that got struck down, which says that you have to have hospital admission privileges. Mm-hmm. Um, according to this report, only one doctor in Louisiana has managed to do that. So this mm-hmm. law was never enacted. So currently in Louisiana, you do not have to have hospital admission privileges to perform abortions. Um, yeah, it was one of the many trap laws that we saw in, yeah. the, in the aughts. Right. Another one was about the width of the corridors yes. in the facility. Just yes. a bunch of bull crap. Just like making it. I always come back to this metaphor because I think it's a perfect metaphor. It's when, you know, so under Casey, which is the, the second um, Supreme Court decision after Roe that really like redefined abortion rights in this country, mm-hmm. um, Supreme Court upheld women's right to an abortion and said also, though, that states had the right to put restrictions on abortion so long as it did not impose an undue burden. And so the undue burden principle is what has really upheld um, abortion rights since Casey in the the 90s. The problem with that term, what does undue burden mean? Right. Well, it means whatever the judge relitigating it decides it means. Right. So the Republicans said this, quote, the court has exercised the judgment to overrule precedent in over 230 cases throughout its history. 46 years after Roe was decided, it remains a radically unsettled precedent. Two of the seven justices who originally joined the majority subsequently repudiated it in whole or in part, and virtually every abortion decision since has been closely divided. They then later go on to basically say, you should look at um, Roe and Casey, and if you so rule, then it should be overturned. Um, It's terrifying Right. I mean, it's not that we didn't. It's not like shocking that Republicans want to overturn Roe. It's just no, sort we knew of this was coming. So galling that like they that two hundred more than two hundred of them signed this brief saying we're urging the court to overturn Roe and Casey, mm-hmm. and that this case is an example of how they might be able to do that. That if they looked at this case and they looked at the precedent that Roe and Casey set, that there's a they that in their opinion that this case could be uh, an opportunity to overturn that precedent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it doesn't look good. No, I mean, it's going to happen eventually, I would say. It's just a question of when and, you know, and what that looks like. And because even the leading Democratic contenders are, are, are not endorsing packing the court. So there, there's no way to get rid of this court. Right. Even if we, even if we win the, the president, yep. presidency and the Senate, the Senate the house, and we have control of every branch of government. Now in theory, they could pass a new law, but like, right. Which is what Andrew Yang called for right. was codifying. And I think that's the right thing to do. Right. I think that that's the key is that we need to make this a law. Well, um, the, so that the it's problem not is open to we, we yeah, but we won't because we're scared. You know, Pelosi and Schumer would say we absolutely can't do that, or we'll lose both chambers next election. So what? <laughs> yeah, first of all, no, you wouldn't. Secondly, um, but that's how they think. Anyway, I, I won't get bogged down in the politics of it. No, no. you're you're absolutely right, and I don't and, care. And Yang is right. Like I don't I don't care if we lose after that. Um, I mean, I do, right? I don't want to, but I also think that that's really myopic thinking because abortion rights are are very much the majority held opinion yes. in this country. Most, the major, the overwhelming majority of Americans support 
the right for women to have control over their reproductive systems. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming majority of Americans support abortion. Yes. Um, the vast and overwhelming majority of Americans support birth control, but even, sure. you know, though a slightly smaller percentage, I think it's like 70% of Americans are like, yes, women should have an abortion if they need to have an abortion. Yeah, it's good. It's, it gets, hovers around 65 to 70%. It, it gets a That's little a stickier when you talk about like how many weeks in and stuff like that. But, right. And only if it was rape or like that right. kind of stuff. But right. The right for but women overturning to, Roe completely is not, not popular. A popular choice to have, at but all. it's that's the problem. This is the asymmetry in American politics. Right, it's really popular with the most ardent core frothing group that always shows up to vote in the yes. highest numbers. Yes, so it's the same thing as gun rights. Right, right? it's, it's exactly a seventy thirty gets skewed to something closer to fifty fifty when it comes to actual voting. Right, yeah, like the NRA people. Right, I mean, so this is my analogy that I always make is that you know. Yes, you can have an abortion, but I get to put restrictions on it. It's sort of like when you decide to open your marriage and you're like, yes, we can sleep with other people, but only if But I, I have this checklist. you're on Mars and I'm dead and there are blue people walking around. Under those circumstances, you can absolutely have sex with someone else. And the person you're having sex with doesn't have a vagina. Right. <laughs> then and then you're it. like, go for it. You can meet all of these extreme things that are absolutely going to make it so that you're never going to get to have sex with another person. Have at it. Then you're welcome to it. I wouldn't right. even care. Right? right. It's this. It's the same thing. It's the way this a new burden. I don't know if that many people outside of our little circle is going to really get that analogy, but <laughs> it's a fine one. It's as a good far one. as I'm concerned. Yes, it is. It's perfect if you have any experience with this sort of thing. Okay. Um, and Dan Savage talks about that too. Like. You can tell somebody they can do something, but put so many restrictions on it that it becomes impossible. Well, that, and that's that, the whole point of these laws. That is what has happened in so many states. It's, you know, Roe v. Wade has de facto been overturned in Mississippi and Louisiana and Texas, Texas for mm-hmm. for years. Yeah, it's it, unless yeah. you have money. Uh, you know, if you have money, yeah, you can get an abortion. Right. Um, if you are lower to lower middle class, then it's much more difficult. Right. If not impossible. Right. I mean, the abortion itself costs money, which is not covered by any insurance or um, any any insurance, basically. Um, there are wonderful angels out there who develop um, specifically abortion funds, which, by the way, you can donate. When you donate to Planned Parenthood, you can specifically um, designate that you want your donation to go toward funds that help cover the costs of abortions for low-income women mm-hmm. um, because the federal government is prevented from um, any federal funds are not allowed to be used toward that and so you can specifically designate your funds to go toward low-income women that reduces the cost or covers it entirely in some cases which a couple of my friends have um, been able to to use um, back in the day and was really helpful. Even still, it cost them, I think, between three and $500 at the time um, using those mm-hmm. sort of scholarship or whatever you want to call them, funds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, um, yeah, it's just, it's devastating. And um, Yeah, if you can travel outside of those states, you can get an abortion. And I mean, it really is going to become, if they overturn Roe, like Colorado's not going to restrict abortion rates, right? Like there are certain states that that we're not going to do that. It's going to be a completely different landscape depending on what state you live in. If you live in California, Colorado, or New York, or Massachusetts, like 
you're fine. If you're anywhere in the South and lots of parts in the Midwest and the, you know, the upper Midwest, like the Dakotas, then you're pretty much fucked. Right. You better be able to have enough money to not only obtain the abortion, but then also be able to travel. And then depending on the state, if they have waiting periods, you got to have hotel rooms Mm -hmm. and you got to have people come with you because you can't drive. And like, it's going to be. That already happens now. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in a lot of states. Particularly in Texas, because it's such a large state, mm-hmm. just geographically, um, with so few abortion providers, that even if you live in a state where there are a few, it is a very long trip to get to one of them. Um, Can I just throw in some politics to it now? Sure. Like, if the world was normal, like if we just had a normal, crappy Republican president right now, mm-hmm. or a normal, generic Democratic president right now, this this would be the biggest news. Yes, it should be splashed across the headlines, and people would be losing their shit. One of the reasons they're they're doing this right now is because they realize we're so distracted by all this other shit happening. Yep. They can kind of sneak this one in. Yep, that's exactly right. And they could fundraise off it because you know, like yeah, we have forget about like general elections. We have primary season coming up for a lot of these Republicans, and they need to yep. they need to raise money. And interestingly, Mitch McConnell and Cory Gardner did not sign on to this. No, they know it's toxic. Both of them are facing primaries and and elections in 2020 and, mm-hmm. and in this year, I guess we're in it now. Um, and, and they and, know and Corey's that, like, not fooling anybody. He is no. like, you know, life begins at conception. That's yes. his fucking deal. Yes. So he should absolutely should have signed on to this. But like he's yeah. he's fighting for his political life right now. I mean, back when they were trying to do the. Um, uh, the toxic abortion measures that they tried to get on the ballot um, in Colorado where it was like if you have a miscarriage it's murder right mm-hmm. he signed on to that he was like yeah 100% absolutely endorse yeah. endorse this we were screaming about him people were like huh who what? right and no, now I he's didn't like vote in 2014 who, what oh, happened right exactly and then now he's like no I didn't sign it like okay because you're gonna <laughs> fucking lose this fucking election yo I I'd mean, be he's shocked gonna if lose. he didn't I keep reading things like oh don't count out Gardner I'm like uh, oh, you don't live here Gardner. if Mike Kaufman lost by double digits I don't see how Cory Gardner survives right Kaufman now the mayor of Aurora now the mayor of Aurora <laughs> anyway barely about a couple hundred votes yeah yeah so that's that's been on my radar and like so much else is going on, but it's really important to not let this one slide by. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it. I don't know. I mean, if it is overturned, which I think is a real possibility, and I, I've never said that before. I've never really been in a place where I thought that the makeup of the Supreme Court was such that they would actually overturn Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. in my lifetime. And I am in that position right now yeah. where, you know, Kennedy's gone. He was the he was the last vote to say no. Well, there was the sort of there, for decades, there was a sort of unspoken mm-hmm. um, almost Row agreement between law. the parties. Mm-hmm. Like you were going to talk about how we want to overturn it. And, yeah, and, you know, we're going to fundraise off of it. We're going to run on it. But like we know it's too toxic to touch it. We're not going to actually, like, do that. Yeah, we're not going to actually do that. And, and like, I think in the court, too, not just between the parties, but in the court, too, oh, there sure. was this unspoken, like, this is settled law, the, the, and, like, we're not going to upend Roe. Like, yeah, that's not a that thing. Would just but we're not in that world anymore. No, we're not. We're not in that world. And these men don't feel that way. No, they absolutely, and, and some women, but mostly men, yeah. These men on the court, I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. They yeah. don't feel that way. No. They, these new men, particularly, particularly Kavanaugh, although I would argue Gorsuch, um, is a really big fan of religious rights mm-hmm. in this gross way that they talk about it now. Right. Um, 
So I don't I don't have and, any and confidence. And we know that, about Alito and Thomas. Yeah, so, no, we already you know, know how everyone Roberts. else is going to vote. Yeah. We know how everyone else is going to vote. We just don't know about Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, and I'm not convinced at all that they wouldn't relish in the idea that they were the two that got to take down Roe. Yeah. And not, like, feel bad about it, right? They feel good about it. So, mm-hmm. anyway, I, I'm not... I'm not here to bring you any good news on that front and I'm worried and um, I don't think they'll do it before the 2020 election but like well yeah the the case is going to get heard in March mm-hmm. and then they'll uh, their opinion will be in June they don't wait for elections the court schedules the court schedule well so. but they could kick it back to the, no. the court or they could there's, there's things they could do they could basically do whatever they want I mean, they can either uphold the under court's decision. They've already agreed to hear it is the thing. So like a lot of the options for them to kick it back and do things are gone. They're going to mm-hmm. hear it in March. So then we'll, we'll, well know in be, June. That would be pretty fucking nuts. If we'll they, know in June. We'll know in this, June whether or not Roe is overturned. If That's this court what we'll know. actually overturned Roe v. Wade in June a couple months before an election, yeah, that would be, I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's what's going to happen. We're going to find out in June what this court decides to do with. Rome. It's hard for me to believe they'd actually do that now. I mean, but because there's other cases that are working their way through the courts. It's not just this one. That's, no. what, that's what I mean by that. So they could. So they could. They could uphold the lower uphold courts. Uphold this one and then take you know one later after. Totally the election. after the election, yeah. they could absolutely do that. Yep. Yep. So, but they'd have to then. I mean, they have to make an opinion about this case, and so. So they contradict so themselves. So then they do they're going to the contradict. Well, no, that's not really true. They they can. That's not really what happened. Almost ever, like if the makeup of the court is such that you don't overturn yourself. That's not how it works. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen that's Roberts not how it works. Ride that line. I've seen Alito ride that line. I've seen. I'm sure Kavanaugh would. They'll do whatever's convenient. You know. Right. Like you just said, we're in unprecedented territory. And, the, and you know, we are talking about very much political actors anymore. Yeah. You know, even even Scalia, to a point, like had somewhat of a streak of um, independence on certain things. Mm-hmm. I don't think Kavanaugh and Gorsuch do. No. So I think they'll do whatever, you know, they want to see done politically. No matter how, how many gymnastics they have to do to explain it well that may be and i would say that um that would be extraordinary for them to say that abortion rights are upheld and then a year later say never mind we were kidding well yeah because like, they, can, would, cite, they can cite some ar- ar- arcane no, part of the case it, w- it undermines their legacy it undermines the court it undermines everything that they believe in and are like it, th- these people are not trump uh, when when John Roberts overturned the Voting Rights Act, uh, to me, all bets were off. To me, that was a, a... But then he didn't go back and say, I'm kidding, right? Like, he didn't... You don't overturn yourself. That's, like... You, that's the, the opposite of anything they would ever do. Like, mm-hmm. that's, like, the opposite of, like, they can't, really. I mean, they could, but, like, it would just make mockery of themselves. But that's my point. I, I don't think that... Gorsuch and Thomas and Kavanaugh care about their legacy. They care about power. But they would lose. I mean, I I don't know. I'm not going to argue with you about it, but I just think that's absolutely not like. It would be to make a mockery of yourself. (laughs) Well, I don't put it past these guys. So like either they care about abortion rights 
and they overturn it, fuck politics. Mm-hmm. Or they care about themselves and they don't. Like, I, I just don't see a world in which they do both in one, like, the same makeup of court. I just don't see how that happens. Right, maybe not, but, you know, in either way, keep your eye on this case that's that's going to be decided on apparently in June. Yeah. Um, we'll hear arguments in March. Yeah. So we'll see. And and that's obvi- uh, um, very telling usually. You can, eh, sometimes. What questions are being asked and how different justices address different parties to the case and it's usually pretty um, interesting and telling about like where things may go yeah so keep an eye on that sometimes they head fake you though I guess maybe this court not so much Kennedy was real big on that like oh based on the questions he was like the white guy devil's advocate yeah 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 he liked that that game Mm -hmm. yeah so we'll see yeah what else do you want to get to next well, we're in a new decade. <laughs> yeah. 2020. Yeah. And uh, there's this article that I'm going to read a little bit from, or I may just read the whole thing, um, reflecting on the decade that we just left. Yeah. Which would be 2009 to 2019. Okay. So as you recall, um, Barack Obama had just won yeah. and been... Um, put into office, and then mm-hmm. we just sort of lost our fucking minds, and shitty white people were shitty white people. And that is the title of this article, so let me just find it real quick. Okay. And then we're going to talk about all kinds of things. Okay. All right, the 2010s, the decade of shitty white people. <laughs> sure was. This is written again, by... What, then again, what decade isn't? Well, yeah, totally, right? This was just like our, like, crown jewel. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by Buck Down um, at the Medium, okay. and here we go. We were so close. For a minute there, it seemed like America had come to its goddamn senses. It closed out the first decade of the new century by electing its first African American president, while simultaneously handing him healthy, veto-proof majorities in both the House and Senate. After a decade of letting the fear drive us into the arms of a half-witted doofus by the name of George W. Bush who seized that opportunity to fail spectacularly at virtually every conceivable measure of the public trust in return. Mm -hmm. During the Bush years, it took almost eight full years for people to realize that some random hirsute foreigner probably wasn't going to blow up their 91 Ford Taurus or reduce (laughs) the local Piggly Wiggly to rubble in Allah's name, Mm -hmm. but not before they let largely the same people who scared them into thinking so demolish their 401ks and drive the entire global economy screaming over a cliff. All this while simultaneously building the world's largest self-surveillance network ever conceived. Any pretense of American notion of giving a shit about human rights took a pretty solid beating in the aughts, along with a lot of guys with names like Mohammed and CIA black sites scattered around the world. Mm-hmm. But for one brief shining moment toward the end of the aughts, a green sprig of hope grew between the cracks of the nation's thick stony head. For about a minute and a half, it looked like America might be on the verge of a true moment of evolution. At least that's what a lot of us told ourselves back then. To be clear, shitty white people doing shitty white people stuff isn't anything new. SWPs have been on a pretty hard roll for at least the last six centuries. But for about 40 of the last 50 or so years in America, we have at least made it impolite to be openly racist in most rooms. (laughs) Usually that didn't comprise of much more than at least a cursory glance over each shoulder before making a racist joke. But when you consider we aren't that far out in geologic time from when a white person could buy and sell black people out in the open market, it's at least some sort of progress. 
Few people have summed up this plan on how to closet their racism more succinctly than Republican strategist Lee Atwater, who spelled it out verbatim in a 1981 interview. As America evolved, racists still desperately needed a way to signal to other racists without just saying that shit out loud. Quote, Y'all don't quote me on this. You start out in 1954 by saying N-word, N-word, N-word. But by 1968, you can't say N-word. Of course, he didn't say N-word. He said the word. Mm -hmm. That hurts you. Backfires. So you say stuff like forced busing, states' rights, Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. You're getting so abstract now that you're talking about cutting taxes, and all these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and a byproduct of them is that blacks get hurt worse than whites. Mm -hmm. And subconsciously, maybe that's part of it. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that if it is getting that abstract and that coded, that we are doing away with the racial problem one way or the other. You follow me? Because obviously sitting around and saying we want to cut this is much more abstract than even the busing thing, and a hell of a lot more abstract than N-word, N-word, N-word. In other words, how to say the loud part quiet. This has become the new white hood. Find a thing you can do or say every other racist can clearly identify that's just ambiguous enough to pass off as something else. Mm -hmm. But your honor, we were just playing something called the circle game. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) For most of the last 50 years, that's how it rolled. You could argue that America didn't get any less substantively racist. In some ways, it got even worse. See the 94 crime bill. But at the bare minimum, at least some, if not most, shitty white people went underground. But then Barack Obama came, and SWPs lost their fucking minds. It's possible no single person in American history posed a greater existential threat to every pillar of white supremacist orthodoxy than Barack Hussein Obama, and that's when they realized it was time to up their game. Aside from the fact that Obama represented a shining contradiction to nearly every racist trope SWPs tell themselves... Obama created the fear in them that the bill was coming. Shitty Mm -hmm. white people just naturally assumed black people in power were going to treat them the same way they had treated black folks for the last 400 years. (laughs) It took them absolutely no time whatsoever to start scaring the shit out of each other with ghost stories about eugenic death panels and FEMA concentration camps. (laughs) In other words, we're talking about people so so transcendentally racist that it was literally impossible for them to conceive of anyone else not being at least as racist as they were. It's entirely possible most of the institutional racism since the Reconstruction has just been predicated on white people being absolutely convinced that the second they took their foot off the neck of the black man, white people would be getting lynched in the street in droves, and frankly, they would deserve it. Mm -hmm. That's me, not the article. The war over the ACA was really about health care the same way the Civil War was about state rights. Some of the sickest people in the developed world actively pushed back on the attempt to give themselves affordable health care simply because the person trying to give it to them was black. Thus began the Tea Party movement, essentially a Lee Atwater wet dream of white grievance orchestrated around right-wing political fan fiction, sculpted into a surprising array of bullshit policy positions, all seemingly handcrafted as a Trojan horse hope chest full of seething racism and resentment. Mm -hmm. And it just kept going from there. In the midterm elections of 2010, SWPs managed to fill the United States House of Representatives and a surprising amount of the Senate with a bunch of low-watt amateurs, whose only qualifications for high office were the ability to make more thinly-veiled, audible dog-whistle racist noises louder than the next guy in the local Republican primary. American would-be elected officials quickly learned by Pavlovian response that the fastest way to fill a campaign war chest would be to light one's hair on fire, preferably in primetime on Fox News. Meanwhile, a large swath of white America was coming to grips that they were being left behind. Every time they looked at their increasingly larger and more ubiquitous screens, 
They were being acutely reminded that there were people out there living opulent lives of blinding excess, usually in some coastal state, Mm -hmm. and they weren't one of them. Slowly, it just melted into regionally-based inchoate, I never know how to pronounce that word, resentment between people who took a shower after work toward people who took one before it. Despite chart after chart showing how they were ostensibly the most productive workforce in the history of mankind, none of that money seemed to be making it to them. For the first time since the end of the Great Depression, America was waking up to the fact that they were methodically and systematically being screwed. That everything they had been told to expect as a nation of temporarily disgraced millionaires probably wasn't coming, and someone needed to be blamed for it. Rather than blaming capitalism, Mm -hmm. it was just far easier and much more on-brand for shitty white people to punch down and blame the least powerful people in society as the cause of their problems. Rather than accept that the supposedly meritocratic prosperity doctrine that they'd bought into as a religion their whole lives was a total sham to all but a handful of winners, they declared open season on anyone darker than a grocery bag, and while they were at it, threw in women and the LGBT communities for good measure. Donald J. Trump stumbled into this shit zeitgeist like every other accident of success in his life. It's a glowing testimony of how good it is to be rich. The only thing that ever separated Trump from being a third-rate used car salesman bouncing from one sketchy lot to another across Long Island was the Scrooge McDuck pile of money his father accumulated as an openly racist slumlord in the 60s and 70s. After burning through whatever money he inherited, along with all the money other people loaned him, it was dumb luck of a Hollywood writer's strike and the end of antenna-based television in rural areas that helped launch his stupid reality show into the homes of slack-jawed yokels in the flyover states where he cemented his status as a poor person's idea of what a rich person was. Hmm. The longer Trump could keep a camera and microphone in front of his face, things that Trump needs more than water or oxygen to survive, the longer they realized that Trump, for all his money, was a shitty white person just like them. He spoke their same language of perpetual victimhood and grievance, even in the midst of a game they were clearly doing so much better in than the people they were blaming for their perceived lack of success. It turns out privilege is just like money. You can never have too much of it, especially if you believe in a zero-sum game where your every failure is the result of someone else's success. This is exactly why equality feels like oppression to people accustomed to privilege. The greatest gift Trump gave shitty white people was being proof of concept that an openly racist, mediocre white person with a fourth-grade vocabulary and no more nuanced understanding of the world than could be learned from habitually watching Fox and Friends could not only become a billionaire, he could become leader of the free world. Trump rescued the lie of American capitalism for a bunch of destitute people, thus sparing them learning any important lessons about their place in the new Gilded Age. Red meat was back on the menu. In retrospect, it should come as no surprise that Trump ripped through the Republican primary effortlessly. The Republican Party has been selling rich guy policy to poor people for a generation, and much in the same way you have to wrap a pill in some sort of meat to get a dog to swallow it, the right used the steady appeal of racism, homophobia, and misogyny to get people who make less than $40,000 a year to somehow give a shit about things like estate tax. <laughs> Trump just stripped the extra parts away and said the quiet parts loud, and shitty white people awarded him the American presidency for it. Turns out he may have had some foreign help as well, or at least the threat of him being party to people peeing in places other than where they should and in front of more cameras than usual. To be fair, shitty white people didn't limit themselves to the right. Shitty white people on the left managed to rediscover Mm -hmm. measles, and somehow serious people are having to explain how the world is actually round to some of them. That's good how that's how good it is to be white. Better examples than that, but okay. It means you can think that science or physics don't necessarily apply to you all the time. White people will believe almost anything as long as it's coming from a pretty white lady, or at least a convincing looking website. 
you'd be fucking shocked at what Gwyneth Paltrow can convince white people to stick up their bodies and why. <laughs> shitty white people doing shitty things to anyone they could get away with while bullying is nothing new. But the 2010s were a real comeback decade for SWPs. When police weren't shooting unarmed black folks in the streets in broad daylight, they were chasing around one call after another, generated by the fact that this was the decade that 911, for all intents and purposes, became a customer service hotline for white people uncomfortable with the sight of black people doing just about any mundane activity you could imagine. Donald Trump didn't make America more racist, but what he did do was signal to racists that they still had numbers and could still pick one of their own for president, despite being told for decades that they were becoming the minority. Mm-hmm. It's no coincidence that hate crimes started skyrocketing after his election. Trump ran and has governed on an open policy of white supremacy. And now the racist fringe has convinced themselves that they have been a silent majority all along. You can rest absolutely assured that anytime you see someone in a red MAGA hat, the subtext for the word great on it is white. Anyone who tells you different is kidding themselves. I, for one, am glad to see this tire fire of a decade burn itself out. In 11 months, we're going to take a referendum of just how racist this country is, and I know I'm not the only one that's afraid of that answer. Mm-hmm. We know for a fact that something around 41% of the 60% of the people that can be bothered to vote in this country are willing to tolerate openly racist rhetoric out of the White House, so long as it comes with the appropriate tax breaks and judicial appointments. The black box we have no way of peering into is just who makes up that 40% that doesn't usually vote. Welcome to Civilization Edge Play, who's ready to roll those dice. When the history books are written, or at least scrawled on the sides of collapsed buildings and pig's blood in the coming post-apocalyptic hellscape, (laughs) let the record show that the 2010s belong lock, stock, and barrel to shitty white people. Mm -hmm. And we are all poorer for it. Let's hope maybe this go-round we can shove those people back in the closet and start trying to perfect this union once again. I don't know how how many more shots we're going to get at this. Uh, Who wrote that? What publication is it? Buck Down from The Medium. The medium. Okay. Well, it's very different in tone from, from a lot of articles. Because, uh, yeah, it's super pissed off, and I get that. Um, you know, this is our friends, like, you know, Greg and a lot of the Daily Coast people usually won't go that far, and they, they, they try to go out of their way not to call those people in, quote, flyover country shitty white people. They say, oh, well, we need to understand their needs, and these people actually really care about stuff, and they're actually really nice people and and like this guy eh, maybe not so much and um also, I, I would tend to lean more in that direction me too also i think that this is an interesting point that i i want to say too about nice um nice is fucking useless yeah you know i mean we were at a brunch recently and this very nice white lady was talking to us about how she may or may not have voted for trump um and, you know, she likes some of the things he's doing, but just his tone is off. <laughs> and she's a very yeah. nice lady, right? Yeah, on she's the surface, polite. right? She's polite. Yeah, she's nice. Polite and nice. And nice is fucking useless. She'll bake you a pie and you I know, want all good. the things. Good is what I care about. Nice, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I don't care if you open a door for me or you bake me a pie or you say hello or tell me that my hair is pretty. I, I want you to be good. Yeah. And I think so much of these like Midwestern values that we often are told are so great and wonderful and how polite and nice everybody is. I don't give a shit if you're nice. I give a shit if you're good and you care about something and you do the right thing. Yeah. So this idea of like the nice lady from Minneapolis is like, yeah, but did she vote for Trump? And like, does she say the N word in her head every time she sees a black person? And like, you know, like. Or when she crosses the street and there's a black person, does she clutch her purse and call run, the cops? Run into the the nearest business, right? Or, yeah. or call the cops because there's a black person right. and that, what am I going to do? Right, right. 
Yeah. So it's funny. I hadn't read this article, but this morning I posted something on Twitter because uh, there was a story. I don't know why this needs to be a story, but that uh, Meatloaf, you know, the performer, uh-huh. doesn't believe in climate change and says Greta Thunberg has been brainwashed. And I said, <laughs> I said, what? don't. And so my comment was, don't you just have to love the audacity of old white men who can confidently say they, quote, don't believe in something that is easily measurable, like with old fashioned mercury thermometers? I almost envy the pride in the ignorance. Right. And it was like, that's just going along with that. Like, there was a whole section in there about, like, if you're white, you could just believe whatever you want. Because right. your whiteness just facts. That's the greatest thing about it, right? You yeah. can just, it facts doesn't always damned, apply to you. The world be damned, whatever. Maybe like, for me right now, no the climate change earth is flat. There's no climate vaccines change. Vaccines don't work. And I can put a jade egg up my twat and it'll do magic. It'll do something. It's <laughs> magic. We can just believe in magic and it's fine. It's yeah. n- 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 no Makes harm sense will come. to me. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the world is complicated and science is hard. And why don't you just? Why don't you just? Why don't you just? Yeah. Right? right. right. Why don't you just fill out your taxes on the back of a postcard? Right. Why don't, why don't you just... Uh, was it Trump said that you wanted to put big blocks of ice in the ocean to stop the hurricanes? Like, you know, what? The, like, yeah. like, look, I, I always reference this movie... Um, idiocracy. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the best movie ever made, but like, no. it's it basically said like, look, this is the path we're going down. People don't want to think, and people don't want to have to deal with complicated shit, and people just want to address their id. And if we keep going down that path, and the smart people don't reproduce as much, which is what's happening, mm-hmm. um, like this is the world we're going to be in. So he, yeah. w- it was tongue in cheek, but it was also like, this is where it's going. Right. And like, can you now say he was ro- Mike judge was wrong. No. I'm like, <laughs> Mike judge is problematic in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. But like that movie. <sighs> yeah. It was, it was this world where everything was corporatized yeah. and no one had to think about anything. Right. And like what you watch on TV is people getting kicked in the balls, <laughs> and that's the funniest thing ever. And there's there's no plot; it's just people getting kicked in the balls over and over again. And the ironic thing is, like you had President Camacho, who's like this um, who, WWE wrestler guy or something. Right, right. He was yeah. like he was like a caricature of like a wrestler turned reality show star. Yes, and which like, is like what but the he fuck? but that character was so much smarter than the president we have right now. Well, and less cruel. Yeah. Even though he wanted to do like a gladiator type. <laughs> yeah. That's less cruel than what this man is doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucked up. It's really hard to like think about that movie or why I haven't watched it since the 2016 election, certainly, because I, I think I would just cry the whole time. Yeah. But it's true. Like, we aren't having babies. Mm-hmm. Right? The people who think about things, because you're like, why, how? Yeah, why would I Why, do that? how, even, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Right? And, Yeah. Like we're just we are, we already have like everything is already kind of named after some corporation who makes sponsored it or whatever. Like mm-hmm. we used to have Mile High Stadium because we're the Mile High City, so our stadium was named Mile High Stadium, <laughs> well, and it has now changed. Sports sponsors. has been doing that for a while, but like how far off are we from like Hardee's healthcare? <laughs> like remember right. what they had in the movie? Right, the stuff like that. Right. right? Yes. <laughs> right. The Starbucks police. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I It's... Starbucks brothels. Yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> it really is. Like, it's a whole different world now. I don't know. Uh, I have another thing. Well, we don't have enough time. I'll, I'll read it at the other the other side of the break. Um, there's another thing I want to read that... Uh, oh, boy. Is that going to get you going? Okay. Uh, <laughs> we have about five minutes. Um, 
Yeah, real quick, and we'll get into this some more. I, I'm going to be brief about this because there's so much we don't know about how this is going to unfold. But we may be on the verge of basically another uh, Mideast war, but one that's like so um, asymmetric and like uh, hard to define that it's going to be hard for people to wrap their heads around. Yeah. Neither the United States or the country of Iran are going to formally declare war on each other. Right. Um, not that we did that with Iraq either, but like we made it very clear, uh, like we yeah. are at war with Iraq to get Saddam Hussein. Right? right. And everybody could sort of understand and wrap their head around that. Right. This is going to be much more. I mean, I do have a lot of things to say about this. It's been weighing on me pretty heavily the last couple days. Well, just to brief you real quick. So yeah. the United States basically uh, launched an assassination against this a guy. A drone strike, right? A drone strike against this general. Uh, named Suleimani. Suleimani and he's a guy we've known about forever he's you know he's a guy that's been a thorn in the side of the US and he controls all these militias that are against US interests and you know he's involved sort of peripherally with terrorist organizations and like he's yeah he's a guy we don't like fine good there's lots of guys like that he's a big one and he is uh, very much tied in with the government of Iran he's sort of like an Iranian general he's yeah. sort of the equivalent of, I mean, it's not completely symmetrical, so I don't want to say this, but like our general Petraeus, the last time we had a big popular general that everybody heard of, right? Right. Uh, he's sort of their general Petraeus, and we assassinated him, and the Iranians are pissed off, and there's going to be repercussions for that. Um, and, you know, like everything else, I'm sure it's going to come out in a couple weeks that there was no good legal justification for it, that there was no. So it's um, already like there was just a New York Times report this morning that, like, uh, Sources inside the American intelligence agencies and inside the White House have told them that um, it, the evidence that this was like a thing, the the sort of justifications for it were, quote, razor thin. Yeah, the, the justifications were this guy was about to launch all these attacks against U.S. personnel. Like, and, nobody really believes that's true. And nobody and, believes that. And, and like, here's my thing, though. Like, of course that's going to happen. We know it's going to come out that, like, Trump and Stephen Miller, like, you know, said, like, you know, we're going to do this totally illegal thing to help me with impeachment, right? Yes. It's going to be something ridiculously corrupt. Right. Um, but that's not really the, my issue. My issue is that the media is falling back into this trap of, especially the Beltway media, of yay, rah, rah, now we have to rally to the flag and mm -hmm. yay, war. Right. Isn't war fun? Right. I'm, I want to talk a lot about that in the second half. Because yeah. I really, I have a lot of things to say about how the media has been reacting, how the mm -hmm. American people have been reacting, and what the actual world is going to look like. Well, and, and, you know. I, I think it's going to be more complicated than people think. Because 9-11, we, we could understand that. We watched a little bit of the news. We understand who Osama bin Laden is. And we can kind of, yes, it was complicated, but like we could sort of put two and two together. Saddam Hussein, we knew who he was. We, knew right. we were at war with him before, right. twice. Right. We know He was a mass murdering fuckhead. We got that. He, he was a bad guy. He's a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, the Cheney and the intelligence people ginned up bullshit connections between him and 9-11 like yeah. we knew who he was we were going to war to unseat him and he's a bad guy a okay got idea, it but yeah. this one you had everybody scrambling to google saying who did we just kill what was his deal right and then for the fox news people except for tucker carlson which is interesting the fox news people say oh he was a really bad guy this is really good you guys need to get behind this i don't know that's gonna work as easily like sure lots of like right-wing sycophants who watch fox news will not along but maybe some other people a little more discerning will be like, 
wait, I never heard of this guy. Are we, are we sure about this? We're going to go to war? With Iran? Like, like, that doesn't sound like a good idea. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that it's going to be that easy a sell, except for the real hardcore Trump and war sycophants. Like, anytime you bomb anything in the Middle East, they're for it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I could be wrong. But also, I don't know that popular opinion matters in this case. Like, he's going to do what he's going to do. No, and, and this is this is only about distraction from impeachment. Yes. Like, we know that. Like, yes. It's very obvious. Yes. And we know it's obvious because they aired an interview with Trump and Hugh Hewitt. Um, and I don't know when it was from. It could have been from before when he was president. But it was... Have you heard this yet? No. Oh, my God. You have to hear it. It is like... Donald Trump, first of all, in this interview, he sounds completely, uh, he sounds like he has Alzheimer's. Yeah. Like, I gotta say. And so I think it was fairly recent, but I might be wrong about that. Anyway, Hugh Hewitt, for some reason, I, I guess he would have to be president, is asking Trump about foreign policy. So he goes, well, what about this um, Suleimani guy? And, or like he says, have you heard of this Suleimani guy? Uh, and Trump goes... Yes. Well, remind me. Remind me. Who is he? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it gets so much worse. And then, like, you, it's like, oh, well, he's the leader of the Kurds, um, the Kurds forces. And, and Trump goes, oh, the Kurds. Yeah, the Kurds have been treated so horribly. And, and he's, no, 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 not the Kurds, the Kurds. That's a completely different thing. And Trump is like, what? Wait, Kurds? Did you say? Because oh, I thought you said Kurds, Kurds. And he, it's like no, no, no. I said, and, and it's like I can't, I can't oh even, God. I can't even listen to this. And this was ostensibly, I don't know when it was from, but like, I, it was probably, <laughs> I don't know. So the point is, no, like, I, I think Trump probably got some people in a room and said, what can we, who can we bomb or kill or do in the Middle East to create a big distraction? It's like, well, we've been looking at this. Um, Soleimani, um, Soleimani guy for a long time, but we haven't taken him out because it would cause more problems. Do it. Get him. Yeah. Get him. Yeah. We'll justify it later. Like, and with their own little Benghazi that just happened in Iraq, it was like, there's there's good justification there. Perfect. Sure. Yeah. It's, but again, I want to talk a lot about like what the aftermath of this may, may be and, and just sort of like how people have been responding and, mm -hmm. and All right. we'll American get, bullshit. We'll get to that in the second half. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back. article for you, Rachel. Yes. You know who Terry Gilliam is, right? The director? The director. He's kind of an asshole from what I understand. Terry Gilliam says, I'm tired of white men being blamed for everything wrong with the world. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm confirmed in my view that he's an asshole. Yeah, that was okay. a good lead, yeah. 
after <laughs> two decades Christ. of trying, the director and former Monty Python member has finally managed to make The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, which he's been trying to make for like 20 years. But he'd rather talk to Alexandra Pollard about Me Too, the trials of being a white man, and why he's decided what to become a, quote, black lesbian in transition. Oh, wait, no. I'm going to lose it. Did you I, just I, say I that? you. Okay. By All his right. own admission, okay. Terry Gilliam is offensive, but it's not his fault, it's yours. People work so hard to be offended now, he says with a grin. I don't know why I'm doing it. It's not fun anymore. He seems to be enjoying himself today, though. The more incendiary his opinion that Me Too movement is a witch hunt, that white men are the real victims, that actually <laughs> it's women who hold all the power, the bigger that smile. We're in the public. We're in his publicist London offices to discuss Gilliam's new film, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, but the 79-year-old writer, director, and former Monty Python member has other ideas. I'm so bored of talking about the film, he groans, rolling up the sleeves of a maroon overshirt, which has a cut not dissimilar to a posh dressing gown. I should say this with a British accent. With gray hair, cut short except for a long rat's tail around the back, and weathered face, he looks his age, just about, but he has sharp, keen eyes and the air energy and trainers of a man many years younger. I don't know what that means. Some British thing. You'd think, given that he's been trying to make his magical realist adaptation of Cervantes' 1605 novel for nearly two decades, he'd be itching to talk about it. The film's journey to completion has been so troubled, there were lawsuits, funding failures, collapsed distribution deals, and natural disasters, that a documentary was made about it in 2002. Gilliam even... started filming back in 2000 with Johnny Depp and Jean Roquefort in the leading roles, but production was abandoned on day two when a flood wiped out the set and Roquefort's <laughs> back went into spasm. Maybe God's telling him something. Um, so, just making a movie's hard, man. He's had other setbacks. In the meantime, Heath Ledger, the star of his 2009 film The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, died midway through filming and was replaced by a handful of A-listers. And his 2013 sci-fi film The Zero Theorem flopped spectacularly. But his early years were an embarrassment of riches. After starting out as an animator for Monty Python, he's responsible for those surreal... Yes, we know. Gilliam soon joined the troupe full-time, the only American-born member among five Brits. His directorial debut was with them, 1975, Riotous, Monty Python, and the Holy Grail, and he helped write the equally adored Life of Brian. And when the Pythons slithered their separate ways, he kept on going. Blah, make, blah, blah. Making work. Uh, <laughs> he did 12 Monkeys. He did Fear and Loathing. Uh, he did Brazil. Um, you know, we know his yeah. stuff, pretty much. This is all... Background on who he is and why he's so great. Stuff Even though he's a fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've never seen Brazil and I don't plan to. It's good. There's no room for modern masculinity, I'm told, says Gilliam. The male gaze is over, he adds, letting his de- derisive air quotes hover for a moment. He was trying to make a point with Angelica, though, played by Joanna Ribeiro. Angelica is a young woman who was in Toby's film. When she was 15, he told her she could be a star, but hasn't spoken to her in the years since, and her attempts to make good on his prediction have failed. Now she works as a model and an escort. In the age of Me Too, here's a girl who takes responsibility for her state, says Gilliam. What? Whatever happened in this character's life, she's not accusing anybody. We're living in a time where there's always somebody responsible for your failures, and I don't like this. I want people to take responsibility and not just constantly point a finger at somebody else saying, you've ruined my life. Except when you ruin someone's life. The day we met, Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein, who's been accused by dozens of women of rape, assault, and sexual harassment allegations that kickstarted the entire Me Too movement, broke his silence. 
to lament the fact that his work has been forgotten. <laughs> no, it's not. It's still on TV everywhere. And to boast that he is a, quote, pioneer of female-led films. Isn't it a bigger problem that men are refusing to take responsibility for abusing women and abusing their power? No, says Gilliam. Oh. When you have power, you don't take responsibility for abusing others. You enjoy this power. That's what the way the it works What the fuck did you reality. just say? And then the phrase comes up, witch hunt. Yeah, I said Me Too is a witch hunt, he says. There's a silence. I really feel there were a lot of people, decent people, or mildly irritating people who were getting hammered. That's wrong. I don't like mob mentality. These were ambitious adults. There are many victims in Harvey's life, he adds, and I feel sympathy for them. But then Hollywood is full of very ambitious people who are adults and they make choices. We all make choices, and I could tell you who did make the choice and who didn't. I hate Harvey. I had to work with him, and I know the abuse, but I don't want people saying that all men... Because on the 1991 film The Fisher King, two producers were women. One was a really good producer, and the other was a neurotic bitch. It wasn't about their sex. It was about the position of power and how people use it. Being neurotic and being an alleged rapist are not the same thing, though. Many women have made very legitimate accusations against many powerful men. And those are true. But the idea that this is such an important subject you cannot find anything humorous about it? Wrong. Gilliam mentions a famous actor he was speaking to recently. She has got her story out of being... Uh, sorry, I got lost. She has got her story out of being in the room and talking her way out. She says, I can tell you all the girls who didn't, and I know who they are, and I know the bumps in their careers. The point is, you make choices. I can tell you about a very well-known actress coming up to me and saying, what do I have to do to get in your film, Terry? I don't understand why people behave as if this hasn't been going on as long as there have been powerful people. No one is behaving that way. No I, one is suggesting it hasn't been going on forever. We're right. just suggesting we'd like it to stop happening. Right. I understand that men have had more power longer, but I'm tired, as a white male, of being blamed for everything that is wrong with the world. He holds oh, up his hands. Are you tired? I didn't do it. Oh, are you, are you tired? <laughs> are you tired? I'm sorry that you're tired. Yeah. It must be very exhausting. It is deeply frustrating to argue with Gilliam. He is both the devil and his advocate. I try to say it's not that white men are to blame for everything, but that they are born with certain privileges that too often they exploit. He interrupts. It's been so simplified is what I don't like. When I announce that I'm a black lesbian in transition, people take offense to that. Why? Because you're not. How am I not? How are you saying that I'm not? Are you? You've judged me and decided that I was making a joke. You can't identify as black, though. Okay, here it is. Go on Google. Type in the name Gilliam. What comes up? What's going to come up? The majority are black people, so maybe I'm half black. I just don't look it. But earlier... But you're not. He described himself as a white male. I don't like the term black or white. <laughs> I'm now referring oh. to myself as a melanin light male. I can't stand the simplistic tribalistic behavior that we're going through at the moment. He oh smiles. Oh I'm getting God. myself oh into my deeper God. water, so I have to trust you. I'm not sure what he's trusting me to do. <laughs> I'm talking about being a man accused of all the wrong in the world because I'm white-skinned, so I better not be a man. I better not be white. Okay, since I don't find men sexually attractive, I've got to be a lesbian. What else can I be? I like girls. These are just logical steps. They don't seem logical. I'm just trying to make you start thinking. You see, this is the world I grew oh up in. Oh my God. And with Python, I him so much. we could do this stuff and we weren't offending people. We were giving people a lot of laughter. Monty Python never did anything like that. No, I'm, no, yes. I'm <laughs> well aware of Monty Python's yeah. canon. He's right about that. But at its best, Python was silly and whimsical. It's more pointed satirical moments punching up, not mm -hmm. down. No shit. Exactly. And John Cleese is going to fucking kick your ass. Seriously. 
At its worst, it missed the mark, objectifying women when it wasn't depicting them as shrill and, and preposterous and using racial slurs that would rightly horrify people today. Gilliam doesn't see the difference. I'm into diversity more than anybody, he says, but diversity in the way you think about the world, which means you can hate what I just said, that's fine, no problem. I mean, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but fundamentalism always ends up being you have to attack other people who are not like you, and that's what makes me crazy. Life is fantastic, it's wonderful, it's so complex. Enjoy it and play it and have fun. That's why I didn't become a missionary. That was my plan. I was quite the little zealot when I was young, but when their god couldn't take a joke, I thought, this is stupid. Who would want to believe in a god they can't laugh? His publicist comes back into the room and tells our time's up. We didn't talk about the film even once, he tells her, with the glee of a schoolboy telling on his classmate. I get up to leave. I don't know how you got stuck with me in this mood, he says. I just love arguing. And if you've got a point, you should be able to argue your thing. The grin is back, but I'm not going to hit you is his last sentence and so terry gilliam can, can i chime in because i'm a white man please please <laughs> can you come collect him please come collect him um terry gilliam is okay he's one of these guys that people go crazy over like like his work on Monty Python, I'm not one of those Monty Python crazy people mm-hmm. who's just obsessed with it. Like mm-hmm. Monty Python's fine. It's funny. It's great. Like fine. Uh, 12 Monkeys, fine. Brazil, fine. They're fine movies. They're not the most amazing movies ever made. Um, but be that as it may, I, I am trying to think back to a time and maybe in my teens where if I would walk in a room and I would hear somebody say, oh, men are the worst or white men are the worst or mm-hmm. white people are awful. And I would like take offense mm-hmm. or feel threatened mm-hmm. or wanted to feel defensive, probably like maybe in my early teens before I knew anything, mm-hmm. because I'm just like, well, hey, that's me. Right. Um, You're saying I'm bad. Right. Right. But as I've gotten like that's that's the most basic. That's the. <laughs> right. But like as oh. as, I've, as I've gotten older and and more sophisticated and understood better like I I literally can't remember a time and I've been in rooms full of the butchiest toughest lesbians you could think rooms full of all black people rooms full of all hispanic people and never once have I been picked out and said oh you're the white devil we we hate you and we're gonna no. oppress you and get out of no. our sight that has no. literally never happened no never never no. <laughs> never never no not ever, not ever. no and, so, and you're a straight white cis dude yeah no i'm i'm jewish but you know i mean they don't most people don't know that by looking at me no and it's not like you know you see me and i and i pass for anything other than oh cis straight white guy yeah like it's very obvious that's what i am and so this idea that white men do all these horrible things and that I have to feel some sort of solidarity, like, is there any measure of solidarity I should feel with Donald Trump? Because we're both cis, straight, white men. I, no. 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 What do we have in common? Literally nothing. There, it, it, Other than um, he's from... Queens and my mom was born very near Queens in, um, well in Queens. Yeah, that's it. I don't feel any kinship with him over that. There's lots of people from Queens, plenty of them. I don't like, um, I don't, I don't understand this. This has always been really hard for me. 
of course it's a it's a tell right when when people say things like all lives matter right Mm -hmm. or people say not all men um like that's (laughs) what what okay let me put it to you this way let's say you're at a party rachel yes and you're you're like often you're 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 doing your thing and you're talking you're saying oh you know men are awful right Mm -hmm. and a guy looks at you a a white guy almost assuredly white yes but sometimes maybe not and he goes not all men like if you engage in conversation with that guy where do you think that's going right i mean he proves himself to be the awful man not just because he said not all men, but because he fundamentally fails to understand why I would say something like that, right? Well, that, that's what I'm getting to, right? Like, where does that failure come in when the guy says not all men? What is, what, what is he not getting? What is he not understanding? Like, assuming the guy isn't just like a horrible racist misogynist, let's, let's say like he considers himself a, a feminist or liberal or whatever. Right. But he says that. Like, where is he failing? What is he not understanding? Are you asking me? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I would ask you that. I think my opinion is that he's failing to understand the structural and systemic oppression of women. Yeah. Right? That, like, that that's what he's failing to understand. And so, and his own privilege. And, like, the way that I walk around in the world is different than the way that he walks around in the world. And he doesn't really understand that that's actually true. Well, is he dumb and like either he's dumb and simplistic enough that when you say men are awful, he thinks like you are arbitrarily misandrist. I'm, I'm attacking him. Like, well, well, hold on. Let's, let's step back a little that you're just arbitrarily misandrist. Like you woke up one day or I you just were decided born. to hate men because, because <laughs> penises are yucky, whatever. Yeah. Um, however, like it, you should be able to take a few context clues and say, like, maybe you have had numerous experiences or recent experience with uh, a man where you were sexually harassed or felt threatened or violated in some way. And why then, as another man, would you say, well, I identify with that guy that you're that right. you're attacking? I mean, that's just my like that's my living problem. as a woman. I am constantly being. <laughs> Constant, I mean, a constant state of either fear of or experiencing some sort of either microaggressions or actual sexual harassment or potential sexual assault. I mean, it, li- living as a woman, just living in the world as a woman makes me feel that way. And that, and this is going back to the Terry Gilliam interview. This is where he's really telling on himself, right? Yes. Um, he's, he's saying, yeah, Weinstein is bad, but look... I've had women come to me and, mm-hmm. and say, what can I do? And he didn't like shoot it down. Like, okay. So women have probably slept with Terry Gilliam for roles. That's, I guess his choice and their choice. And the difference is he doesn't go as far as Weinstein and like corner them and, and rape them. Um, but like, but he certainly- what he said was the woman said, what do I have to do to get into one of your movies? Right. Maybe she meant any number of things. Sure. Right? And his answer could easily have been um, take an acting class if she's not very good. Or um, I recommend this person or this this program or this agency or, you know, um, your look isn't right for this. I mean, there's a million answers to that question and it doesn't have to be blow me. Right? 
That no. doesn't have to be the answer to the question she's asking. No, but he, but he, what he's inferring is when a woman asks that, that's what she means. She means that. And yeah. that could be true also, right? That mm-hmm. could be true also, that she understands that in her situation, this is how you get into one of Terry Gilliam's movies. Right. I'm competing with five other women and we're all basically just as as right for the role. Right. One of us has to do something. To and women talk to out. other women. I know men don't believe that's true, but <laughs> it's true. Um, we tell on you all the time. Yeah. And uh, men always think women are so competitive against each other and that like we're like always doing this cutthroat thing and it's absolute bullshit. It's no, a thing no. that the patriarchy you, created to make us feel like that we should be that yeah, way. We and, absolutely are and not. And it's on the Real Housewives show. It's and, absolutely yeah. not. It's absolutely not my experience. It's not any of my lived experience with women. Women are... We take great strides to protect each other mm-hmm. and to tell on each on men. Um, and so she probably heard that like, this is how you get into one of his movies and decided that that was a thing that she was willing to do. Like, that's not the same thing as inviting someone into potentially like what you think is going to be an audition. And then there's a naked Harvey Weinstein on a bed who rapes you. But that's, that's my point. Like even in the interview, he's like, yeah, Harvey was a bad guy. Uh, and then he makes some weird uh, about, thing about him. Like I didn't like working with him, and you're like, okay, I know about the abuse. Did did he rape you in a hotel room? You know about the abuse because you were working with Harvey Weinstein, and one day you were gonna meet for a business meeting, and you walked in, and he was fucking naked in a hotel room, and made you blow him. Did that happen, Terry? But my pro, yeah. Well, did that he, happen to you? And that's how come you know that he's a bad guy and he's abusive? Well, no, he's it a, didn't happen. He's to identifying you. with Weinstein. Yes. He's saying like. If you're attacking him or people like him, then you're attacking me. Then you're attacking me. And so, like, what are we supposed to take from that? Yeah. And you know what really irked me the most, I have to be honest, is this thing at the end where he's like, life is good and fun and you should enjoy it and, like, take it by the balls and just, like, have a good time and blah, blah, blah. And it's like... Laugh about everything. Yeah. Fuck you, man. <laughs> Fuck you. I people tell me that a lot. Like, why do you have to take everything so seriously? Why why can't you just have fun? And why why are you always so mad? And why are mm-hmm. you you know, and it's like cuz the world is the world. All right? I can't walk around like Terry Gilliam because I don't. I I don't have that privilege, and I also choose not to just like not see the world and mm-hmm. not see the suffering of other people and not see how everybody can't just fucking walk around laughing about everything all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not what the world is. That's not how it works. And if you choose to do that and just walk around laughing all the time, like, then you're... Okay, good for you, but... But then you're... You're ignoring everything else around you. You're ignoring the actual oppression and suffering of people around you. And I'm not built to do that. I, and get, I hate it. I guess the main thing is, because if it's, you know, when conservative people say to us you know, blue lives matter or all lives matter or not all men, not all white people. It's like, okay, we, we, we know where you're coming from. It's when people who consider themselves reasonable or moderate or liberal say that you're really telling on yourself. Yes. Because what you're saying is when you say white people are awful or when you say men are awful or white men are awful, you're attacking me and I identify with those horrible things that Mm -hmm. you're identifying. Right. Maybe you don't mean to be saying that, but that's what you're doing. It is. Yeah. You are saying like, in this moment, when you're saying that like Black Lives Matter, I'm saying no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those racist cops that killed those men matter. And I'm identifying with them. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that need to be protected. Right. Right? Basically, yeah. It's like in a riot, 
when the cops have their back turned to who they trust, right? So, you know, and it just goes with the the thing you read before. Like, um, there's always a backlash, right? There's always a backlash when hegemony is threatened in any way. Yes. And, you know, let's face it, with Me Too, there's a lot of guys out there like Terry Gilliam and directors and producers. And like, sure, maybe most of them didn't go as far as Weinstein. But like to create this culture of like gross sexism and misogyny and young up and coming actresses or women in the industry have to do gross things to get ahead or think they have to do gross things to get ahead. Like and they had benefited from that. Like that was threatening. Me Too's threatening to them it is, or that they're going to be outed. He literally said it out loud in that article. He said out loud. No, people in power use their power. That's what power is good for. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the fuck? Power is good for abusing people. Really? Does, does, I'm allowed to do that. Does Steven Spielberg make people blow him? Did, I don't know. Did you, probably not. I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, probably not. Probably I, not. I don't know. How about George Lucas? No, heard about he's that? an asshole, but I don't know if he's that kind of asshole, right? Right. Spike Lee's an asshole, but I've never heard of that. Right. You know? Never but like he literally shit. said out loud, like, power is good for abusing people. That's what it's good for. That's why you have it. He said that out loud in the article. So mm-hmm. like... Yeah. I, Okay. I mean, at least he's being honest, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, and there's stories of Terry Gilliam being a nightmare to work for as a I director. Know. So. Yeah, I've always Which, heard that he's an asshole. As a lot of directors are. Just how we started this conversation was just yeah. like, he's kind of an asshole, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which clearly, yes. And he, he takes pleasure in being so. Yeah. Um, and he has the privilege to be able to just say and do whatever he wants. And, um, and... They'll still give him money and he'll still make films and then he still gets interviewed and articles will still get written up and people will go see his movie. Yep. I, I will won't. Not. <laughs> Fuck no. Because his last three movies kind of sucked. I, I think he lost his edge back after Twelve Monkeys. Uh, I, but, I did like Twelve Monkeys, but like I'll never watch another film he does. Fuck yeah. that guy. And this whole like I'm a black lesbian fuck off just like fuck directly off with this right, appropriation right. That, that, of like no, well no, no, I no. can just decide <laughs> that I'm black because blah it's just like fuck you man it, yeah that's what your racist uncle says right or like the Fox News people like like well I'm identifying as a woman today so I'm gonna go into the women's room and that right. will show you right yeah yeah it's like dude fuck off <laughs> fuck all the way off you're a fucking white guy I don't care if you're like 98% black. If you pass as a white person, then you're white. But like, it's even more insidious when he says something like that, right? Yes. Because even if he's just 95% in jest, what he's saying is if you take an actual black lesbian, what, what did he, what did he say? What was the other identifier? A black lesbian in transition. A black lesbian in transition and assuming and thinking that person in the world has all the advantages. Right. And you as a poor white man right. are the oppressed one. Right. So think about right. that for a second. Right. Exactly. Because like, we, because unlike Terry Gilliam, we know actual black, black lesbians, lesbians in transition. Yes. And why don't you sit down and talk to them about what their life is like. Right. Going in through society and trying to have a job and trying to communicate with their families. And walk around in the goddamn world and not be and, murdered. And then tell me how much privilege they have. Yeah. How much better their life is because they're not being oppressed for being a fucking rich white guy in Hollywood. It's so offensive. It's so offensive. Yeah. It's, uh, but he he meant it to be right. That's the whole fucking point. Right? Isn't isn't it funny how offensive I am? Right. Isn't it cute? He's like a now, Bill Maher, except uh, actually kind of funny sometimes. Right, a little more talented. Yeah. Ugh. Sure, sure. And Terry Gilliam's been around long enough to know he's going to say a bunch of controversial things, and now people will hear about his movie and. Right. 
maybe go see it. Doesn't have to watch the movie. You don't have to talk about the movie because all he has to do is say that he's a black lesbian in transition, and then maybe people will go, "Who's Terry Gilliam again?" Right. Yeah. Like, oh, he made another movie. Oh, maybe conservatives will go see it because he said the thing that they (laughs) made them see. See, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm really the oppressed one. Uh, Ugh. Unbelievable. I fucking hate white men. I'm sorry, but I do. Hey, no. not all white men. <laughs> I was talking to Alethea the other day, and we were talking about just, you know, white men. And um, uh-huh. you came up for some reason, and I was like, the thing is that Travis says it more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's not friends with any of them. He doesn't, like, associate few. with very, very many. Few. Like, very few, right? Um He's just always like these fucking white men. And I'm like, I know, baby. And she's like, she just laughs and shakes her head. Like, she's like, you guys are crazy. I'm like, no, but it's true. Like, you know, you, you will be the first to say they're the fucking worst. Yeah. Yeah. That we are. Yeah. So you want to pivot back to the media and the the beating the war drums? Yeah. This is a, like, again, I, I, the hardest thing to wrap my head around is like, <clears throat> How are you going to sell this when most well, people didn't don't understand even what's happening? So first of all, I think it's really interesting to see um, the sort of right wing pundits salivate over this um, as though they've always known who this person was, as though he's Osama bin Laden. I mean, some of like them, like Ben have. Shapiro, who's never talked about. Iran in my memory. No, he, and talks, like, he never, talks about Iran a lot. He wants war with Iran. He's one of those neocons who's wanted war. With he doesn't Iran know. He's too. never mentioned this man's name once. Somebody went back through and figured out that he's never once mentioned this man's name. That makes sense. Well, we know Hugh Hewitt has. <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden yesterday, he's like, oh, this man who we've known for all these years he's so is so evil. terrible. It's such a this good thing we got The him. greatest yeah. foreign policy win of a generation. This right, is better right. than Osama bin Laden. Right. Trump is a hero right. for doing it. And you're just like, this is so disingenuous and stupid. You don't even know. And it's not just him. It's a lot of them are just like, see? We caught a bad guy too. We did the same thing as as as, as Obama did. We caught. Oh, now they're giving Obama credit for that. Yeah, we, we we caught a guy too. See, Trump's just as good. He just did the same thing. And you're like, no, yeah. no, no, okay, stop. Okay, first of all, you didn't even know this man's name. Yeah, it's never been you in your mouth before yesterday. Um, I'll be honest. I'd only heard his name and vaguely knew who he was. Oh, I had no idea who he was. And no, and clue. I'm a foreign policy nerd. Yeah, I had no clue. I had absolutely never. I was like, who the fuck did we kill? And why does it matter? Like, what's going on? Yeah. I had no idea. Um, and then the thing that I really want to talk about is like, we are the most self-centered, selfish, narcissistic people on earth like our military drone strike killed a general of a country in the middle east was it a drone or was it it was a drone okay it was a drone and the media and all of social media and everything that i saw heard and read for the first i don't know half of the day was I'm gonna. I'd rather be in jail than be drafted. Um, what's gonna happen to us? What's mm-hmm. gonna happen? You know, are we gonna? Are they gonna nuke us? What? It was so myopic in its scope of like, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen <laughs> to America? Right. Mm-hmm. And nothing. Basically, nothing is gonna happen to you. What's gonna happen is we're going to murder. 
a lot of civilians civilians in another country. A lot of brown people are going to die. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And American kids are going to get thrown into combat. And there's not going to be a fucking draft. No. As in every other conflict that we've been in since Vietnam, America's poorest kids Mm -hmm. are going to enlist with the hopes of college tuition being paid, health care, benefits, an education, an education potentially, you know, money, and then they're going to go die. But the vast and overwhelming majority of people that will be murdered are not going to be Americans. Mm-hmm. There will probably be no blood on American soil. And we're going to murder a lot of Iranians. And oh, not just Iranians, because. And Iraqis, right? We've already done that. Like, Iraq, I was this Syria, Lebanon. Article about how we know, like, the, the body count of American soldiers in the Iraq war has been <clears> about 4,000. And if you ask most Americans how many Iraqis they think have been killed since 2003, um, most will put the number somewhere in the tens of thousands. Okay, let's talk about the... Uh, Do you the... want to know what the number is? Sure. 2.4 million. That doesn't surprise me. 2.4 million Iraqis and Afghanis have died since 2003. And most Americans think it's in the tens of thousands, which is still an insane number, but 2.4 million, million people let's talk about that the... are not Americans have been murdered. Yeah. That is an insane number. That's an insane number. The Holocaust, it was 6 million. In the last 16 years, we've killed 2.4 million people. And we, we can't really know. Could even be more. Right. That's insane. Yeah. That's ludicrous. And in creating these war zones and hotspots, we then will not accept any refugees. So, you right. know, that's the other end of it. So, but let me just say this. Let's talk about the, uh, some of the, what we might want to call the alt-left Mm. who was very keen on telling us before the election that, you know what? Actually, Donald Trump is a better better choice than yeah. Hillary Clinton because he's more of a dove. He's not a yeah. war guy. Right. He doesn't know. care enough, right? Yeah. He doesn't care enough and know enough, so he's just going to like not go to war because like, that's not what... I don't know what their argument even was. That was it. Because it is profitable. That was it. That right? Hillary Clinton at the State Department did the same adventures that we've been doing for years and she mm-hmm. voted for the Iraq War, so she's a warmonger and Donald Trump's probably a better choice because he doesn't seem like a warmonger. Okay. But he's like a fierce capitalist. And what happened when this happened was that oil prices spiked, mm-hmm. but so did defense stocks. Yeah. So all of these defense contractors, all of their stock prices. And he's spiked. probably friends with them or they're campaign donors. Right. And like, you know, right. here's the thing with Trump. Whenever he does anything, take the most blatantly mustache twirlingly evil cartoonish one dimensional reason for him doing it. Yeah. Assume it's that. And then in reality, it's probably worse. Right. Right. Like, I have mean, we not and, learned that and at that, this point? You just have to imagine a world in which the president of the United States doesn't give a shit about anything but himself. And that's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. He didn't take a, like, measured action for national security. He killed a guy opportunistically because it, he could and because it would help him. Mm-hmm. And then maybe on the back end he can make some money by giving <clears throat> some of his buddies defense contracts for when we go to war. I mean, it's it's Iraq all over again, except yeah. 
he's even worse than, than W, right? Yeah. And like with his impeachment looming, this is perfect. <clears throat> so, yeah. No, he's, I mean... <laughs> how is Fox News spinning this? I would like to know what my dad Well, um, most of them are banging the war drums, but Tucker Carlson is not. Uh, at least last night. Now, this is not, that doesn't mean Tucker Carlson gets a cookie. You can be a horrible racist and, you know, be right. an isolationist. <laughs> right? <laughs> usually, a lot of times those things overlap, as a matter of fact, as we yeah, talked about. totally. Um, and, but Tucker Carlson, at least, I think it was last night or Friday night. Oh, last night was Friday night. Was very vocal about, this is a bad idea. Should not be doing this. And, um, you know, so, but... Yeah, he's he's overruled. He's one voice out of many. Right. Hannity's all for this. Of course. And of course now we know the things are coming out. There's another thing that's gone under the radar. Hannity's probably been advising him on this and who knows Perfect. what else. Um I love it. Yes. Take advice from a bloviating fucking opinion piece person on Fox News. That's a great national security expert mm-hmm. that you should consult. Yeah. So wonderful. Mm. War. I mean, this is okay. So to try to explain a little bit of what's going to happen, because people don't understand the media is not doing a good job of explaining it. I mean, they're trying to, but basically this guy was a glorified, not only a general, but sort of a warlord. So he controlled and he was like the spiritual leader and the financial backer of all these militias all over the Middle East, not just in Iran. So... Um, I, and I'm not going to get into the difference between Shia and Sunni and the sex and the political stuff. It's, like, go look it up. It's really complicated. Yeah, And it's it's important to know. So if you don't understand the difference, look it up. But the important thing to know is that he controls these these basically these very well armed militias in in Syria, in Iraq, in Lebanon, um, probably in places like uh, Oman and Libya. Um, he, you know. There are a lot of people who are now going to want revenge in his name. Right. And it seems to me that the plan is, based on the last couple of days, like, we're going to try to preemptively murder all those people, too. Oh, good. So there's a lot of here's yeah, here's the problem. We have a lot of interests and uh, and bases and all kinds of other things that aren't really all that well protected and yeah. guarded. Yeah. And they are going to retaliate, and yeah. then we retaliate, and this th- this yeah. is yeah. could very easily yeah. it's going to spiral into a big conflagration. Yeah. And I like we know the State Department has been gutted. We know the National Security Council and is basically just Stephen Miller. Like, there's you can't tell me there's not a good plan there's any plan no no and even today they were like oh the white house is trying to like back down now and be like no we're not but then they're like oh we're sending 3500 troops over and then they're like maybe we won't do that like there's no this was done specifically at the whim of a crazy person who mm-hmm. felt backed into a corner and now now they don't know what like to they do. don't know what to do and neither does he so they're just like throwing things against the wall and then like Smart people are probably like, no, like, no, like career service people are like, fucking no, that's, this is 17 things that go wrong with that plan. And then there's some other guys like, nope, that plan's horrible. This is 85 things that can go wrong. And then some other smart guys like, what the fuck? No, here's a million things that could go wrong. So mm-hmm. they just don't know what to do. Cause there, there wasn't like, this is not a plan. This wasn't like, we're going to do this and then this, and then th- this was just, 
kill that guy. I'm getting impeached. <laughs> yeah. Just fucking do it. I don't yeah. know. Drone him or whatever. You know where he is? Good. Get it done. He's and then they were just guy. like, okay. My base will rally and then we'll Yeah, be we'll kill a bad guy. It's everybody great. will rally Kill the bad the guy. Flag. Fuck it. Kill him. Let's do it. And it's like, uh, and then now everyone's like, no. They're going to do some stuff and it's like, mm. Now we're getting into now something Now the State Department's like, everybody should leave Iraq if you're American, by the way. That's literally what they said. Yeah, like, but there's everyone. no danger. No, but like, just leave. Yeah. Get out. The fuck out now. Like, get the fuck out now. Get to an embassy and get the fuck out. Like, be gone. But it's probably fine. I mean, I'm sure it's fine. It's horrible. It really mm. is. I know. And th- this leads into something else that I'm going to end the show on, which is sort of how quaint <laughs> George W. Bush seems at this moment. Um, he had evil people around him, but at least smart, right? Some. And he got us into this mess. Yeah. And um, a person who tried to expose some of the things that happened during the getting us into this mess is currently in jail. Mm -hmm. And that would be Chelsea Manning. Mm -hmm. She had a birthday this week. And everyone was doing that sort of like my decade in review. Would you like to hear Chelsea Manning's decade in review? Sure. Okay. Um, Before I do that, because I have to pull it up, I also wanted to note that the UN came out today. I'm sorry, not today, earlier this week, um, and basically admonished admonished the U.S. for Mm -hmm. um, its treatment of Chelsea Manning, um, calling (coughs) what we are doing to her tantamount to torture. Yeah. Because she has not been charged with a crime. Um, nor convicted of a crime, but is being held. And I think that it's really important that they point out um, specifically that um, even though the term is supposed to be limited to 18 months, mm-hmm. that you can be held for grand jury resistance, mm-hmm. they can open up subsequent grand juries yeah. in perpetuity. Yep. So basically they can hold her for the rest of her life. Yeah. And the charging of $1,000 a day to her, if they hold her for the full 18 months, will be $500,000, right. um, which is also just unimaginable um, and something that weighs on her greatly. Um, And uh, so, (laughs) yeah, she's still incarcerated. Chelsea Manning says, breakdown of my decade, 2010 to 2019, 77.76% of the time she was in jail. 11.05% in solitary confinement. 51.23% 51.23% fighting for gender affirming care. 100% being true to myself no matter what. 0% backing down. Yeah. And in the UN uh, report admonishing the US for the treatment of Chelsea Manning and her current incarceration, they also note that, you know, under US law, like we're currently violating US law. Um, they, they very clearly state that. Um, it's been proven that this is not going to be coercive. Mm-hmm. Um, she has said she'd rather starve to death than testify before the grand jury. Which then there's literally no reason to be holding her. The, so the, the, the statute says specifically it has to be coercive and not punitive. Once it becomes punitive, you are required to allow that person to go free. Mm-hmm. And I think if anyone who's been held under grand jury resistance has ever proven that it will never, ever be coercive, it's Chelsea Manning. Yeah. She's never, ever, ever going to testify so since before we, a grand jury. Since ever. Full disclosure, we know her legal team. Are they trying to get a new hearing in front of a judge? A new motion? There's definitely stuff in the works, particularly after the um, 
UN report. Mm-hmm. It's called a, I think, a humbles motion, which is where they say mm-hmm. like this is punitive at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, this judge, though, is just a piece of work, and yeah. I don't know what will happen. Um, but I know that her legal team is working constantly to find different ways and different avenues. They're delighted by the UN report. Mm-hmm. Um, Moira Meltzer Cohen, who is her primary attorney out of New York City, um, made a statement last week that just said, like, yes, I agree. And also, I don't think that, I think it's clear that the U.S. government um, will not take any of the words of the U.N. seriously or do anything about it. But, like, it's really good that that the international community is recognizing that this is a human rights violation that we are committing against one of our own citizens um, in incarcerating them without charge or conviction. So I think it's good to to know that other people are watching. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can, donate to her uh, legal defense support um, fund. That would be great. You know, she is being charged $1,000 a day uh, while being incarcerated unjustly and unable to work, unable to do anything else. Um, and her legal team uh, is working furiously um, and she needs to, she's got a lot of, of expenses. So if you can give anything, I would really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Okay. In closing, um, how about these rich white billionaire assholes stop running for president? Yeah. What was it? The Bloomberg thing? Oh yeah. Bloomberg said that it's basically the central park five is still undecided or mm-hmm. there was good reason to, Mm-hmm. Convict them. Yeah, and- yeah. Like there was the maybe you know they should have been released or whatever, but like it was pretty like legit why they got convicted. And Amy Klobuchar um, just took a giant donation from the DA who prosecuted the Central Park Five. So well, somebody it. on Twitter was like, "If we keep saying Kamala's a cop, can we start talking about Amy Klobuchar's a cop?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Yes, we absolutely can. She yeah. is absolutely a cop." So, uh, but like nobody I- cares about her, so I guess that's why nobody cares. Yeah. Well, one of the remaining. Uh, presidential nominees um, is still pro stop and frisk and pro incarceration at the Central Park Five and yet one of the most progressive candidates in Julian Castro dropped out so that's kind of where we are with the Democratic primary but we'll bitch more about that in coming weeks Um, yeah Iowa caucuses are in uh, a month yeah a couple weeks (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, All right, that's going to do it for us. Another uplifting episode (laughs) for every testimony to start the new year. We're going to have some guests over the next week or two, so stay tuned for that. Uh, I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. Stay active. Stay tuned. Stay involved.